Have you ever been told something but didn't really understand the full significance of what you were told till much later? I remember before my daughter Julia was born, we got a lot of parenting advice. We were new parents, and one thing we heard again and again was, enjoy these years, they go by so quickly. <laughs> After I had heard that about a hundred times, I thought to myself, I get it, the time is going to go by fast. But of course, I didn't really understand it until much later, in fact, until very recently, when I turned around and my baby girl was a teenager. Well, something like that is going on in our gospel reading today. The disciples had been told by Jesus on several occasions that he was going to be handed over to suffering and death, just like the scriptures said, and on the third day, rise. But like a new parent being told that something they could only really understand on the other side of personal experience, the disciples couldn't make sense of these claims during his earthly ministry. In today's passage, the disciples begin to see Jesus' death and resurrection as part of God's larger plan, and they see that the church's mission is to convey to the world God's offer of reconciliation and peace that these events make possible. As their eyes are opened, the disciples move from terror to peace and finally to witness. So it starts with terror. The passage opens with Jesus appearing suddenly in the midst of the disciples and greeting them, peace be with you. But the disciples think they're seeing a ghost, so they're terrified. A little comic relief at the beginning of this suspenseful, at this suspenseful moment in the narrative. It's hard for us to imagine just how unexpected Jesus' death would have been for his disciples. Remember, Jews in Jesus' day were expecting a military figure like David, like King David, who would overthrow the Romans and establish the kingdom of Israel. A suffering Messiah was like a contradiction in terms. And if his death was unexpected, his resurrection was doubly so. The Jews of Jesus' day did believe in bodily resurrection, but it was a resurrection of all the faithful at the end of history, not of one individual in the middle of it. Remember the story of the raising of Lazarus. Jesus told Martha, your brother will rise again. And Martha responded to Jesus, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Martha was just repeating the standard view and there was no conception of someone being raised from the dead before the last day. Well, into this confusion and bewilderment, Jesus has to assure them that they are not seeing a ghost, that he has really been raised to a new bodily life. And of course, he was standing right in front of them, but their eyes may be playing tricks on them, so he tells them to touch him, for a ghost does not have flesh and bones. And then just to drive home the point, they watch as he eats a piece of broiled fish and hands them back the empty plate. It's remarkable how insistent the passage is that this was not a vision or a spiritual experience of Jesus living on in their hearts, but a real tangible body that was experienced through their sight, sound, and touch. And Jesus also wants them to see that these events are not an unfortunate detour, but are actually in fulfillment of God's plan. In fact, if they had understood the scriptures, they would have seen that Jesus is its major theme, its ultimate fulfillment. 
and if they'd been following this story up to the point, they would have known that human sin had severed the relationship between God and his people. That was the big problem and the root cause of most others. It was to heal this broken relationship to effect true reconciliation and peace that Jesus gave himself for us. I think this is one reason why Jesus identifies himself by means of the marks of crucifixion. I had a friend once who had an unusual gait. He said that people could recognize him a long way off just by how he was walking. We all have, you know, unique identifying features, and these disciples had spent the last few years traveling around with Jesus, so you might expect him to point to some other identifying feature, to say something like, look at my face or look at my eyes, but of course he says, look at my hands and my feet, that it is I. I think that's because this is how Jesus wants his disciples to identify him, as the suffering servant, the crucified and risen Messiah. Well, Jesus comes into their midst and speaks to their terrified hearts, peace be with you. And in one sense, this is just a normal greeting, a way to say greetings or good to see you this morning. But in this context, of course, it carries much deeper significance. The peace which Jesus here offers means overall well-being, contentment, and even salvation. It is that which we really desire above all else, whether we know it or not, that desire which only our maker can satisfy. I love what C.S. Lewis says about this. He uses the word heaven, but substitute peace or God, and it works just, the, just as well. There have been times when I think we do not desire heaven, but more often I find myself wondering whether in our heart of hearts we have ever desired anything else. This most basic desire is precisely what Jesus offers to satisfy when he offers us his peace. And this offer is intended not just for those disciples present that first Easter, but all those in later generations, including you and me. If you'll allow me to be a grammar geek for a second, I'll show you one way this comes through. Luke uses what's called a historical present. He uses a present tense verb to describe something that happens in the past. Our translation smooths it out, of course, but what it actually says is, Jesus stood among them and says to them, peace to you. It's supposed to make you feel like you're standing right there with them, like Jesus is speaking to you. The peace Jesus offers is always present, always available. The disciples now have been moved from their initial terror to peace, and now they're finally called to witness. Of course, this is not a new idea. From the very beginning, God's plan was to make this peace available to all nations. Think of God's covenant with Abraham, in which he promised that all the nations of the world would be blessed through him. Or Isaiah 49, where God says, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Just as the passion and resurrection happened in accordance with scripture, so now the mission of the church is a scriptural mandate which must be fulfilled. And Jesus essentially says, go to it. You are witnesses of these things. Now this is one 
place where it might be tempting, especially for us, to think that Jesus is only talking to his first disciples here. But we can't get off the hook that easily. It's true that the first disciples had a unique role to play. They were eyewitnesses to these saving events. What's interesting is that they needed more than just these events. They needed to understand the true significance of those events. And that required that their minds be opened to understand the scriptures, which is the work of God. What they gradually came to see was that Jesus' death and resurrection were the fulfillment of God's plan of salvation. And in this sense, we are also witnesses. We have seen, through the testimony of the apostles, Jesus' death and resurrection as the fulfillment of God's plan of salvation and the basis for our peace with God. To be witnesses, then, is our responsibility as Christians, but it's also a privilege and a joy, for we have good news that the world desperately needs to hear. In this life, we all face a host of little terrors, sorrow, loss, disappointment, separation, despair, not to mention our own mortality looming over us. And in the midst of all this, Christians have a message of hope, of resurrection life. We have the privilege of walking with others in their times of sorrow and bearing witness to a life which has triumphed over sorrow and death and of sharing that true peace which is ours in Christ. May we who have seen in our crucified and risen Lord the fulfillment of God's plan of salvation and have received in him our only true peace, offer our lives to him who offered himself for us and bear witness by word and example to the glorious gospel of peace.